Hi, everyone. It's Scott McGrew. The National Venture Capital Association just recognized Low Tony, the founding managing partner of Plexo Capital, for his impact on the industry's diversity, equality, and inclusiveness, DE&I. Tony and I sat down a few years ago to talk frankly about race and his efforts to make a better, more equitable world. People sometimes ask me, when will this model become obsolete? And my answer is not soon enough. I want the ability to say, oh, wow, there's other folks that are actually competing with this same model. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Low Tony is founder and managing partner at Plexo Capital, a fund spun out of GV, Google Ventures, to pursue investments in diverse entrepreneurs. I think I want to start this with kind of a forewarning, and that is one of the topics that we're going to talk about is diversity, uh, whether that's women in the workplace or women entrepreneurs uh, or people of color. Uh, and I think there are people who may not understand, as a journalist, it's my job to ask you tough questions. Sure. But those tough questions may come out as if somehow I am against diversity. or And so I want to just off the top, have people understand that. Uh, and then I think there's another thing, if we're doing this purely by audio, and that is people can't see us. And if you would do a favor and just describe me to the listener, what do I look like? <laughs> well, for those that have not seen the Press Here show, um, Scott is, I don't know, about 661. Um, looks like maybe you played some sports back in the day. <laughs> Little football. White male. Um, yeah. Okay, it's yeah. the white male. Still got a full but, head of hair. Yeah, well, except like a- in the back. Just a little in the back, but I hide it well. And I will describe you. You know, handsome, right. athletic, about oh, the same you. height, maybe right. a little taller than I am, and a black man. So here's a white guy talking to a black guy mm-hmm. about diversity in which the white guy is going to ask tough questions. All right. All right. I just want to get that out of the way to begin with. <laughs> so at Plexo, you are interested in uh, investing in companies that are diverse, whether it's uh, uh, women entrepreneurs, women founders, or, or people of color. And you had sort of an aha moment about this. Tell me about that. The aha moment for me was as a partner at at Google Ventures, which has now been rebranded as GV, 
And I was in a meeting with a few other folks, and it was a meeting about how to increase diversity and inclusion in the entire entrepreneurial ecosystem. Now, what it ended up happening is we at GV had a strategy of partnering with seed stage funds led by a woman or a person of color. The hypothesis was that those individuals have a non-traditional path into venture capital and end up with a few things. Number one, a really interesting network to be able to source deals at the early stage. And then also a different lens to apply to understanding a particular problem industry or even an entrepreneur. And so the strategy worked for us at GV. And so now I'm going back to this meeting that I was sitting in. So I, I said at the meeting, well, hey, you know, what if we scaled up the work that we've been doing at GV? And everyone thought that was interesting. And so I went off and at the, at the Google um, um, organization, they have this term called 20% time. So I spent my 20% time kind of looking at this opportunity to be able to scale up what we had done at, at GV by investing in seed stage funds led by a woman or a person of color. And that's how Plexo Capital was born. So that was my, my aha moment. It was really around this notion that women and people of color, by having this different path, they end up with a really interesting network and a different way to look at opportunities. What are we using as the definition for people of color? For me, it's relative to the demographics in the United States for non-white people and then um, you know, how well those individuals are represented within the venture landscape. And we have seen that the traditional underrepresented minority we use as well. So that's African-American, Latinx, Native American, Pacific Islander. But we also look at other groups that people that are of color that aren't well represented in venture as well. Are we still searching for maybe underrepresented minority as a better term because when I look back at some of the past interviews I've done, even on this podcast, it's Yap, Yin, Padi, Gulati, Guha, that maybe African-American, Pacific Islander, Native American, that's where the real focus is, right? And Latinx. Yeah, I think that's where the focus is along with, with women because women are underrepresented as well. So we take an approach of what is the what do the demographics look like? For us, primarily demographics of the United States. And then how well are those represented within the venture capital community? And as you probably know, I mean, it doesn't take a lot of research or even anecdotally probably based on your observations within this ecosystem in the Bay Area. I mean, there's not a lot of people other than traditionally white males in venture capital. And those white males tend to invest in other white males. Crunchbase says among those receiving venture capital, 1.8% are Latinx, 1% African-American. The rest of the people receiving venture capital look a lot like the people writing the checks. That's the hypothesis, right? So when you think about the classic observations that people make around, oh, well, this person, you know, is wearing a hoodie, they're a white male that dropped out of Harvard, you know, the Zuckerberg effect. Oh, I'll fund him. Right, yeah, I'll fund him. <laughs> and so I think what you end up with is the data shows when you have a more diverse set of investors around the table, you end up with a more diverse portfolio. I think part of it is the the network, so the ability to be able to reach out to other entrepreneurs that 
that other folks just might not have access to. And and that white kid in a hoodie knows other white kids in hoodies. Yes. Uh, when you start getting into non-traditional founders, as you pointed out, there's a whole network of people out there that you didn't know you needed to know. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I think another effect is those non-traditional founders, they look at the web pages for the firms. And if they don't see folks that look like them, I mean, they might still go to that firm. But I think my observation is, you know, I am a VC that focused on consumer and marketplaces. But if it's an African-American founder that's doing a life sciences company, they're going to come and find me. And it's, I think, primarily because they think, okay, well, this guy looks like me, kind of probably comes from my background. He might give me a fair shot. So I think a lot of it is that as well. So it can be a competitive advantage as well to to some VCs that, you know, look like the founders that are attracted to them. So that could be a competitive advantage. And that's the way that we think about it. You talk about delivering great returns and making an impact on diversity. But you also write, it's important to note that Plexo Capital invests in all companies, not just those run by women or people of color. And then you wrote this on Medium. Plexo Capital is not, however, a diversity investor, but instead focuses on those venture funds and early stage companies we believe will generate a high return. I think there's a conflict here, right? Is obviously your job to your limited partners is to return capital. Correct. If you can do that through founders that are women or people of color, good on you. How do you how do you bring those two things together? The way that I define a diversity investor would be an investor that's focused on only investing into companies that are led by maybe it's African Americans or Latinx. And that's that's not us, that's not what we do. We have this hypothesis around first of all, we're a hybrid because we invest both into venture funds and directly into companies. So our thesis around diversity is based on what we've seen as those individuals, women and people of color, being able to tap into networks that other folks aren't able to tap into and to be able to have some familiarity often with problems that other folks may not understand. That's important at the seed stage because in the absence of an abundance of data about whether or not something's working, you almost need to, as an investor, really understand the market opportunity, the problem itself, sometimes intimately, like actually having experienced that. So what you see, and it's probably not a surprise, you look at certain companies. We just had a company, um, Billy, which Procter & Gamble acquired, and that was led by one of our GPs, Female Founders Fund. And, you know, Anu, she understood the problem that Billy was selling. Billy is kind of like, the best way for me to describe it is kind of like Dollar Shave Club for, for women. And she understood the problem and the challenge of trying to identify the right products. And, you know, it's it's not clear. She led that seed round. And it's not clear if, if a male would have had mm. that same understanding. Probably could have gotten comfortable with the dynamics having a good model like Dollar Shave Club to look at. But I think at the early stage, it's almost important to actually sometimes even be a customer so that you really understand the problem. And I think that's what women and people of color bring to the table on the VC side. Now, let's go back to the direct side because I think that really gets at mm-hmm. 
the conflict that you're seeming to understand. Well, I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, two mm-hmm. companies, two entrepreneurs mm-hmm. walk into the room. It's yes. your job to invest in the person who is going to give you the best return. That's right. Not the person based on their appearance. That's exactly right. And yet. <laughs> yes. And so with our strategy, we're sourcing those companies to invest into directly from the portfolios of those venture funds that we've committed to. Now, given that those venture funds are led by a woman or a person of color, they are ha- they are inherently going to have a more diverse portfolio. Mm-hmm. So we have more shots on goal to be able to make an investment into a company led by a woman or a person of color because that's a reflection of the pool that we're picking from. And I would say of the 16 direct investments that we've done, all except three are led by a woman or a person of color. HBO's Silicon Valley does a wonderful job of illustrating this strange conflict of diversity. You probably know the show, but for those who don't, in the scene, a character named Jared, who can never keep his mouth shut, is helping his CEO interview a candidate for a job. If they hire her, she would become the company's first female employee. Plus, you're a woman. What? No, I just mean we would absolutely love to have a strong woman working here. I'm not a woman engineer. I'm an engineer. Okay. No, no. (laughs) Oh, no. Yes, of course. We want to hire the best people who happen to be women. Regardless of whether or not they are women, that part is irrelevant. Are you doing that interviewing thing where you try to rattle somebody to see if they freak out or not? Uh, sadly, no. This is, uh, that's just Jared. I wouldn't know how to do that. And so I think there is that sort of that conflict, right? It's it's a really good illustration of that. We would have given you the money anyway, but we're also excited you're a woman of color. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a win-win. The way that I look at it is, back to your original point, our job is we have a fiduciary responsibility to be able to maximize the dollars that our limited partners have trusted us to deploy. And if we can do that and at the same time have this greater impact as an artifact of our strategy, I think that's a huge win for the entire ecosystem. But our primary focus and our lens is done with maximizing every dollar that our LPs have trusted us with. Now, it's fair to assume that Lightspeed or Andreessen Horowitz or Sequoia is doing something similar. They're certainly giving opportunity to to women and people of color. Do you think you do it better? Well, I have have good friends um, at at Andreessen Horowitz and Lightspeed. Uh, I think they are changing the game. I think let's look at Andreessen Horowitz. So, you know, Ben Horowitz has done an amazing job of reaching out to the African-American community. Um, As you likely know, Ben grew up across the Bay in Berkeley. He went to Berkeley High School. He actually played high school football with my cousin. And Ben is married to Felicia. His wife is African-American. So, you know, Ben understood the opportunity to be able to tap into that community. And he actually made great strides into that community. Um, You know, he has invested in a number of companies. One of my favorites is Maven, which is a company where I'm a 
personal investor, full disclosure. And Maven is led by an individual, Deshaun. He's from Oakland. He went to Hampton University, historically black college. That's where I, I'm from, Oakland. I went to Hampton. And he taught himself Mandarin to be able to disrupt the hair industry. So, you know, having a, a, you know, a nice head of hair is important not only to yourself, but it's important in the African-American community. I do not reflect that. <laughs> but for women, you know, they like to look their best. And it's common that women will do weaves. And Deshaun figured out a way to be able to kind of cut out the middleman or the middle person, the entity that sat between the customers and the suppliers, and to be able to create an app to allow that supply to go directly to the, the stylist customer and let the stylist have a percentage of the sales. Now, Deshaun went up and down Sand Hill Road, and we talked about this for a Deshaun and I talked about this for a while. One day we sat down over like four hours at the battery. He was literally laughed out of some offices. When I use the word literally, I mean it in the absolute sense of the word. He was literally laughed out of offices. But he approached Ben Horowitz. You know, Ben, again, grew up in Berkeley, was hanging around a lot of African-American folks. His wife's African-American. Ben got it immediately. Ben invested, or Andreessen Horowitz invested, and then, you know, lo and behold, the lemmings that we are as VCs <laughs> come out of the woodwork and say, Deshaun, Deshaun, wait, we want to invest as one. He's like, but you laughed me out of your office. And they're like, yeah, but we never said no. <laughs> and so, you know, I think um, Ben gets it. Um, I'm a big fan of Jeremy Liu. Um, Jeremy is amazing. At Lightspeed. At Lightspeed. Yes, thank you, at Lightspeed. And he's done a great job of kind of reaching out to other communities um, you know, they've done a good job of incorporating, um, they have an African-American woman, Monique Woodard, who is one of their scouts to go out and look for deals. Um, so I think, you know, and Jeremy has, has done a great job in light speed of supporting, um, you know, women and people of color that have seed stage firms and networking and partnering with those firms to do deals. So, you know, I think um, Andreessen Horowitz and Lightspeed do it well, but we, we need more, right? Like, I love the fact that they're doing this. Um, I look at this as the strategy of Plexo Capital. People sometimes ask me, when will this model become obsolete? And my answer is not soon enough. I want the ability to say, oh, wow, there's other folks that are actually competing with this same model. Unfortunately, I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon, but I do appreciate everyone's effort to be able to try and do something different to make a change to increased inclusion. Isn't that maddening and frustrating, not just because diversity is the right thing to do, but it's the economically right thing to do because study after study shows that diverse boards, you know, of companies, that those companies make more money. Um that venture capital would invest in things that made them money, as long as it was ethical, regardless of who walked in the door or what they looked like or, or, or what gender they were. How is that possible that an entire industry based on making money isn't doing that? Yeah, it's interesting. I think it goes back to this perception around what makes a great entrepreneur – and what we'll need is now that we have folks that are deploying capital and with strategies to overweight or over-index against women and people of color, 
and we have women and people of color who now have well-funded companies, you know, the next step is, as you can surmise, see where this is going. We need exits from those folks, you know, like we need more stitch fixes, right? We need more companies like that to be able to exit so that then the VCs will say, oh, wow, I There's can't, money I can't miss this, yeah. right? Now, in and even there, what you, some would argue that some of the, the hires, you know, are, you know, I think that it's important to be able to have a diverse team in order to be able to source the best deals if you're a venture firm. I mean, that should be your objective. You want to source the best deals. So hopefully, you know, that will be a reflection and those people that are being hired into venture firms will be able to progress. And when those transitional moments happen, you know, hopefully down the road, I don't know if it's 10, 15, 20 years, we'll be able to see even some of the large multi-stage, multi-billion in asset under management firms actually have a more diverse staff. Because as it stands right now, if you want to find diversity in venture capital, you really don't find it at the large firms. You find it at the small seed stage firms, right? In fact, a lot of the people that start seed stage firms that are women and people of color if they have a track record, they likely have that track record from a large firm. And maybe they chose to do something on their own, hang their own shingle, because maybe they did hit the glass ceiling, maybe. Or they might just want the autonomy to be able to do their own thing and leave their own legacy. But you'd see much more diversity in the pool of the managers that I'm looking at, the sub $100 million funds, that are primarily investing at the pre-seed and seed stage. That's, there's way more diversity there than the large, multi-stage, multi-billion dollar firms. Beyond being aware of the need for diversity, what is it like being a black man in venture capital? I was talking with John Thompson, and I asked him uh, a question about his race, and, and he was very polite, but he was very firm. He said, it doesn't matter that I'm a black man. That is irrelevant to what I am doing. It's interesting because when I think about it, I look at it almost like an, an entrepreneur. When you're an entrepreneur, there are, you know, like 99 things that can kill your company. And so if you're an entrepreneur and you're an African-American male, you got 100. And if you're an African-American female, you got 102. And I guess the point of that is that it's still hard no matter what. Um, there's not a lot of seats at the table in general, and it's, it is the case that fewer of those seats are occupied by women and people of color. That is fact. We can look at the numbers, so there's no debating that. But I would say I am extremely blessed that I've had an amazing career. I've built an amazing network. I've got some great people that I know have done things for me that they might not do for others. Um, but I'm not naive to think that it's not going to be difficult for African-Americans or women um, or any person of color that's in this industry, really anyone that's not well represented, right? It's, 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 it's going to be tougher. There's no question about that. But I would say it's not something that I think about for myself personally on a daily basis because, again, this job is hard enough as it is. I got 99 other things I got to worry about. <laughs> I think that went fairly well for a white guy challenging a black guy about race. <laughs> well, let's end on something lighter. You used to be the general manager of Zynga Poker. I, that's right. Tell me about poker. What do I need to know about poker? How do I get good at poker? 
you got to play. It's like any other sport. You got to play people that are going to constantly kick your butt. Um, read all the great books. There's a lot of great books out there. Andy Duke has a really good one about what it is that makes them the special players that they are. Uh, yes, yeah, that was that was a fascinating time. That was <laughs> did fun. You, did you like poker or were you just assigned poker? Right, I'll tell you a secret. Please. I was actually assigned poker, and but they asked me. They were like, well, you – you play poker, right? I was like, of course, of course, I play poker. I'd never played poker before. I'd, I'd literally you ran, bluffed. I, I, blu- I bluffed. I ran out and I bought a book on poker for dummies, and then uh, and then since I ran poker right after I started it, they had a big poker. They had monthly or quarterly poker tournaments. And so uh, with multiple tables. And so they were like, well, look, you got to go play. You're the general you're manager the general of poker. Manager of po- I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to get exposed. And believe it or not, I think we started with maybe 12 tables, and I made it down to the last table. I got my first time playing poker in a tournament situation, and I made it to the last table. You can now, <laughs> you can now safely admit that. Lo Tony, founder and managing partner of Plexo Capital. As I said off the top, an interview done just days before the shutdown. We're back with fresh quarantine-era interviews in the next few days. In the meantime, stay safe. Sand Hill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.